Hey, y'all, welcome to 12 Questions. Hey, I hope you were listening to this from the comfort and safety of your home or on the battlefield earth that our country has become. You know, I don't know, but I hope that this reaches you. Um, it's been a hell of a couple of weeks. This is obviously going to come out in a little while, so it's going to feel like the past. But ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it has been it's been a humdinger uh, for people like me and my co-hosts. Mr. Dave Yates. I have no idea what you're talking about. Everything seems perfectly normal, perfectly healthy, <laughs> perfectly fine out in these streets. Uh, but you know, uh, I think you're. I think you're going to ask me to to do the clarity statement. Am I? Yes. Am I right? Yes, of oh. course, of course. <laughs> Keeping normalcy out here. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. We're a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. Yeah, <laughs> feeling it, ready to go. And we always let our guests introduce themselves in case they want to get like real nitty gritty and stay completely anonymous. Who are we speaking with today? Hey, it's Whitney Wasson in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. I have Beautiful to say, this is, this is my first time meeting you. Hello, nice to meet you. Hi, so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so how is it out there in Chicago? How are you holding up? You know, um, manageable, that's a big word in my life. Things are manageable, but they're not great. You know, mm. I uh, moved to Chicago from Arkansas for all of the landmarks, the museums, the comedy shows, the art stuff, none of which is happening now. So <laughs> because of uh, because of an injury I had uh, last year, I've actually, oh God, the year before last, it's 2021 now, I've actually been home since October of 2019. So oh, I'm wow. losing my mind, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's get into injuries. I love to talk about a medical <laughs> thing. Um, what's going on with you? What's happening? <laughs> well, I'm fine now. I want to preface by saying I'm okay now, yeah. but uh, I am a comedian and I was walking to a show down a street that I've crossed a million times uh, over on Lincoln Avenue and a driver ran two lights and hit me mid crosswalk. So I was hit by a car. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's my real life. And so um, I had a couple of injuries, but the worst one was I had a broken foot. And yeah. so it put me out of commission, you know, for a while. Like I had to cancel a ton of shows. And then um, by the time I was up and running, I was about to go on a tour in March. And that's when everything went to shit. So I feel like it sort of prepared me for the quarantine. But at the same mm -hmm. time, like it was like a huge life change followed by a huge global life change. And so it's just been a weird couple of years. Yeah, I totally get that. I had uh, some health problems a few years ago. If people mm -hmm. listen to this podcast, you've heard me about it a lot, but <laughs> I had some health How problems. How sick were you? Oh, <laughs> How sick. bad was it? It was so bad. <laughs> Uh, it was so bad. My doctor was like, I think you need a therapist. That's how bad it was. Uh, yeah, it was there was a lot going on. But um, 
I, uh, it stymied sort of the trajectory of my career and it took about mm-hmm. a year to get the surgery yeah. and it took another six months to a year to, um, get back on my feet fully where I could like tour and do what I needed to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, what's so crazy is when this all started, I just thought like, welcome to my world. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I literally couldn't leave my couch for yeah. months. And, uh, you know, my injury was supposed to take, I had a bunch of crushed little bones in my foot. Yeah. It was supposed to take, um, like weeks to, to get better. And it took more like 10 months, you know, to be fully functional, but, uh, you know, well, what an incredible experience with surrender, which kind of brings us to our first question. Like, what is your experience of surrender? It sounds like you're like really in it still. <laughs> I kind of am. Yeah. I'm one of those people, uh, especially in recovery that has to make every single mistake. Like I joke that I have to hit every branch coming down on the tree of mistakes before I'm like, you know what? I'll listen to the universe. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I really have to kind of get my ass handed to me. Um, and in that way, it's great when I need to learn a lesson, you know, the universe mm-hmm. is like, you will deal with this. So in a weird way, getting hit by a car, which still doesn't seem like real life to me, um, it made me have to deal with my stuff. You know, I had to sit and be uncomfortable. Like I literally had to sit and be uncomfortable. And um, it actually made me strengthen a lot of hobbies outside of comedy, which was really good for me because I'm one of those totally self-driven, self-propelled. I always have something coming up, you know, like touring, mm-hmm. road comic, like, you know, and, and this is the opposite of being like, okay, sit there and deal with your feelings. So it was really rough. And I hate to use the cliched thing, but it really taught me who my real friends were. You know, yeah. oh, I had yeah. to, I'm sure you realized that, you know, in your injury, but you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to ask for help constantly. And I'm a very stubborn person. So that was hard for me. So mm-hmm. I feel like I learned, I don't even know how many lessons and I'm still, you know, in, I'm still recovering from the foot stuff. So it's, it's an ongoing lesson. <laughs> Do you have that little foot scooter where you put your knee on it and you scooch? I did. It was awful. I still stay, I, keep using that thing. I, I always said if I ever end up on a foot scooter, like I'm just going to continue to use it. They're Especially like there's at a concert. At a concert. Oh yeah. No, I mean flying. It was incredible. Like pre-COVID, like it was oh. like valet service. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I I still had to go places in Chicago, and I still had to take the bus. And so uh, mm. a couple times I wiped out really hard. And there's nothing like more embarrassing than already being in a giant foot cast, and it's winter in <sighs> Chicago, and you're kind of miserable. And I wiped out on the scooter so hard that this like soccer mom in an SUV pulled over and was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm not really, but yes, in the moment I am. (laughs) Wiping out on the foot scooter. That's definitely something I'm going to like YouTube later because that's... (laughs) That's just like it's definitely a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. It, they're better than crutches than in you. theory, but like just the it's it was humbling. Might, I'll put it that I way. Might go yeah, out and just get one. I might just go get one right. Just now. go just get one. Fun. Give it a shot. It's nice to put groceries on to hang the groceries on. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dude was in a sp- skiing accident mid tour, and um, he refused to cancel any dates, and so we. <laughs> But that it was really nice to be like first person on the plane, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was very funny because he was still like a huge diva about it. He'd be like, <laughs> "I don't feel like they're getting me on the plane fast enough." I'm like, "You're a uh. six foot three giant. Just be calm, okay?" <laughs> like, 
like you're in a wheelchair, you psycho. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it's such a different experience. You know, it made me realize like how good I have at most days, you know, mm-hmm. but I will say the stubborn comedian thing that I did do though, I did a casino show And I wheeled my little cart in there and I wasn't alone. There were so many people on wheeled devices, playing slots, hanging out. So yeah, Yeah, those are your people. When my dude, (laughs) when my dude was in the skiing accident, he was in Tahoe working the improv and uh, he was with the headliner, Uh, by the way, shout out to Sarah Tiana. If you're ever in an accident, you want her because she called me calm, cool as a cucumber. She goes, I, he's not going to die. I mean, I can still see the bone. But uh, it's it's bad, but it's not going to kill him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, wow. yeah. And then that fool took one night off after having emergency surgery to save his life and then got on crutches and went on stage. And I was like, this is I think stand up might be the most addictive, life threatening sport <laughs> Why are we like this? I don't, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way, but it always is. (laughs) What is so crazy? And and that, and that, that was an insane moment for uh, past guest, Stuart Thompson. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Uh, What's the most insane moment you've had either pre sobriety or getting hit by a car. I mean, it's kind of hard to top vehicular, uh, attempted vehicular manslaughter but uh <laughs> side question do you just open every door of every restaurant or bank or wherever you want to be and just go i was hit by a car I treat mean, me nicely <laughs> like i even i was trying to write a joke about this and it never really you know congealed because i think it was still so new but like i had the best excuse in the world mm-hmm. and i couldn't use it because everything was canceled because of COVID. So I couldn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't come to your baby shower. I got hit by a car. I'm sorry, I can't come to this uh, this conference that you want me to go to. I just got, I got hit by a car, you know, because nothing, the world stopped, you know, and so it's like, the man, I can't even hit, use the this. The world got hit by a car. The world got hit by mm-hmm. a car. So yeah, but I think I'm still going to use it even when I'm totally better because it's, how can you question that, you know? <laughs> Buy one of them canes from the Rite Aid. Just Keep it in your car around. just in case. <laughs> Uh, well, that's, I mean, I, I mean, what has been sort of in your recovery journey, the most like insane moment either before or. I mean, I think that being um, sober and attempting stand up even before I was hit by a car was its own special thing. Um, I think just trying to resume my normal comedian lifestyle of mm-hmm. doing shows and bars and doing festivals. Um, so it sounds, I mean, that seems really run of the mill, like living my life was insane. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I got a lot of pushback for recovery people a little bit um, mm-hmm. because I, early in recovery, you know, I felt like the special snowflake of like, well, I'm in bars six nights a week, um, mm. totally disregarding the people that work in the service industry and have been sober for years, by the way. Like I thought that I was like this special little flower. Um, but, but I had people, you know, I had a lot of people question my sobriety, you know, mm-hmm. because they couldn't understand how I would be living that, you know, kind of crappy scumbag rock and roll lifestyle and still being very devout about early sobriety. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of people that I think that they just assumed at every meeting that I went to or, you know, every friend group thing that I did that that I would relapse. And they weren't there was kind of a subtle judgment there that I had to get past. Um, 
But, you know, just being a comedian and trying to exist in that milieu and not be doing drugs and drinking all the time was a huge adjustment for me. And then, you know, pre-COVID, or sorry, post-COVID, not having that anymore and having to exist as a regular sober person has been pretty rough. Mm -hmm. My favorite is when, like, old fucks in the rooms will be like... If you go to the barbershop enough times, you'll get a haircut. Oh, yeah, I've heard get, that one a lot. you get a haircut, and I'm just like, well, if you keep your hair short, you don't need a fucking haircut. You know? <laughs> I have these shears at home. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> I started... Well, it's we just did. like being able to do whatever you want to do, you know? Exactly. I, I, I think it gets to the argument of, I started when I had 12 years, which is... Uh, a true indication of mental illness. I think Uh, I had a pretty stable life and career leading up to that. So um, the, the, the people in my life totally got it Mm because they knew me, you know, but at the same time, it does feel a little bit insane, you know, Mm -hmm. and it does feel like, I remember the first time somebody at a show who was all high on Coke, just sat on me. They like planted on me and just talked a lot and I was like I hadn't experienced that in years and I just I didn't quite know where to go or what to do because I was so in program and working in treatment like it was my whole Mm -hmm. life for my 20s and so it's uh I I get the concern but at the same time like what I would tell people is I didn't get clean to not live a life beyond my wildest dreams You know, that's not what my higher power demands of me. My higher power wants me to be the most exceptional version of myself that I can possibly be. And that means I'm going to take risks. That means for me, I'm going to walk into some bars sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, but it is, I, I can understand the concern of somebody who's like, you got like 27 seconds. What you doing in a bar? You know? Yeah. Why would you do that? Well, I'm sure y'all have had this happen too, but um, it would be surreal when I would do, um, you know, like shows where I had done half an hour about recovery and I Hmm. would say sober, sober, recovery, recovering alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And then I would get off stage and I would be at the bar trying to get some French fries or whatever. And somebody would be like, "Eh, good set. You want a shot? And then it's like, Either you didn't listen to a word I said, or worse, you did, and you still think that I would do like half an hour about being in recovery, and then just like throw back a shot three minutes I mean, later. It doesn't matter the increment of time. I've done a full hour and, yeah. and had a, a, like the majority of it be sober. Yeah, like I've even done. I think I've even done shows like where the majority of the audience has been sober, just for whatever reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then someone who's not sober was also there. Was like, you weren't serious, were you? And it's like <laughs> it's so nope. weird. <laughs> All smoking mirrors, boy. Pour up that malort. Let's go. <laughs> and then early in recovery, I'd really have to think about it and be like, do I want a shot of malort? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I'm focusing my whole life on getting out of that. You know? Yeah. So. Well, because they're being kind and they're yeah. telling you that is yeah. that is yeah. the drunkard's way of saying I appreciate what you do. Yeah, and you it's know. the same when you're out hanging and comics pass you the ball. It's just they're just that's just kindness. That's just including yeah. you, and it's just like I, I'll hang in a in a smoke circle and, and just say no thanks as it goes yeah. by. You know, like yeah. I don't I don't not hang. You know, like obviously if I was going through some shit and uncomfortable, I wouldn't <laughs> hang. But yeah, you know, 
that you know what uh, something that saved my ass in the beginning was like the rehab i went to said you know you can't do stand-up in bars anymore you know so i'm like where, mm-hmm. where the fuck do you want me to do it at the library like are you high like <laughs> um but some some old some some old codgers were just like you got two working legs don't you i'm like yeah they're like uh you got a, you, you, you got a you got a phone don't you i'm like yeah he's like but go wherever you want and then just leave if you feel uncomfortable and call someone if something goes wrong yeah and i'm like oh okay you know, <laughs> and I, I i went to I, I was at a music festival 37 days sober so yeah. i mean but i went with someone who had eight years at the time you know mm-hmm. yeah. it we makes such big, a difference we're just big music nuts, and it's just like I, I learned very early. And people will ask that sometimes, like if I get invited on podcasts, like how do you stay sober while you do comedy? It's just like, mm-hmm. well, it's either don't do the thing I love most in the world or have a problem with it. Like what would yeah. you choose? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And it's also I, I, I think that the demographics are really changing because I was at a club in Arizona and the club owner's wife was like, you know, every comic used to come to town and ask me where they could buy cocaine. And now they ask me where the gym is. <laughs> <laughs> I think our generation's probably taking a little better care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of us, some of us know, some of us, I'm like, wow. But yeah. I, I, I love your decision to stick with your dream. That's beautiful. And that's a tremendous faith and trust in your higher power. That's so, so amazing, which my favorite thing about the third step is that it is a decision to turn the will and the life over to the care of a higher power. And I I really hinge on that, that word decision, Mm because decisions have been historically very hard for me. And what it was, the root of that was a lack of faith. So how do you make decisions in your life? I mean, I've had a lot of smarter people with more time than me be like, yo, you have to get out of your own way. And the key to that is willingness. And that's just such an important word for me. Um, I'm a bit of a workaholic, a bit of a perfectionist, you know, so I just want and in the addict way, I want things instantly to be fixed. I want relief to come immediately, regardless of my level of work. But um, so, you know, I have to think a lot of times that I have to have willingness to do this. You know, I have to keep it manageable and Mm -hmm. I have to focus on this is a work in progress and it has to do with, um, you know, like, is do I want instant gratification or am I willing to be like, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to trust the process, you know. And so it's still, you know, especially now in quarantine, you know, I've been quarantined for almost, well, longer with the injury, but, you know, it's almost a year now of everybody being home. And it's, it's made me go back to very basic stuff of, you know, like one day at a time, (laughs) you know, like it's gotta be very building blocky, you know, instead of just thinking like, oh, I have, I have all these years of sobriety. I know what I'm doing. You know, it's, it's very basic for me to be Mm -hmm. like, is this a good decision for me? Is this something that, I, I want or something that I need, you know, it, it really just depends on the thing, but I am someone who is often kind of paralyzed by indecision and I can talk myself out of things and I can get worked up into the spiral of, of what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I, I'm sure that y'all relate to this on, on some level, but mm-hmm. you know, in the quarantine, it's kind of hard to think big picture. I can't really think yeah. about my stand-up career right now. I can't yeah. really think about uh, exhibiting my art right now in a conventional way, you know, so I have to just sort of think about what's good for me in the day to day. And am I putting, am I plugging away at the work that'll help me later? You know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's totally where I'm at. It's brought me back to the feeling of my first, the parallels between the first year of recovery for me and the parallels in the first year of standup were really high. And like, uh, just because everything's like a revelation. You're like, oh yeah, you know, like, oh yeah, did I just do a callback? <laughs> you know, like everything is such a, everything is such a joy. And um, this quarantine has been um, about surrendering the expectations in the way that it was in the beginning for me, which was just, you know, I'm going to suit up and show up and, mm-hmm. you know, I want it to go well, but I don't know. It's really not in my hands because I don't, I'm not consistent yet. And so to really be in that space of, you know, and doing those little things, like uh, Dave and I both signed up for a bunch of classes, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like doing that. You signed, you signed up, you're taking voiceover, okay? You were bullied into I'm a ta- class? I'm, ta- I'm taking a private <laughs> lesson with a friend. That's not classes. I'm not a fucking nerd. Okay? Well, I've been taking a lot of classes. I, like, re-enrolled yeah, in college, like bitch. Like, I've been... <laughs> And your pencils, nerd. You uh-huh. got your calculator. Uh-huh. Your trapper keeper. You fucking nerd. Improving you and yourself like a loser. Like a loser. I, started, I even started doing my my other hobbies again. And so, like, I understand. It's like, it's the, um, it's again, it's that like surrender to the moment and just making the decision that like we're not we're powerless over people, places, and things, but we do have power over what we do to, to fill this a little bit. And that keeps the head from screaming. Yeah. Yeah. And I can get very caught up in, um, you know, going back to the, the early steps of, you know, I keep thinking like, oh, I'm such a mess. I'm a failure. Why haven't I fill in the blank, you know? And that can be like, yeah. if somebody gets something big in comedy, even now, you know, or, you know, I apply to something and I don't get it, you know? And I keep thinking like, oh, I'm such a mess. My life is a disaster. And then I have to pause and be like, I'm not throwing up in a dive bar in Tulsa right now. <laughs> you know, like I'm not waking up in a random apartment having not remembered the the past two days. You know, my my level of insanity before was pretty bad, and I'm just like momentarily inconvenienced by a grant that I didn't get. You know, or just something. It's yeah. it's never anything important. But when I when I spiral, you know, I just got to be like, bitch, you've been restored to sanity. Like you gotta chill. Like things things are okay yeah. comparatively you know so yeah. <laughs> what would you say the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself is um you know i want to say something selfish like i thought that i could do everything by myself you know i thought that i was this very self-sufficient solitary person you know um but i think the biggest thing i've learned is that um it's okay to ask for help and i'm actually healthier and happier when I do. And before I really, really thought of it as a sign of weakness of like, even stuff separate from recovery, you know, just asking for help with art stuff, asking for, uh, you know, a handout in, in a comedy thing, you know, just even stuff like, Hey, can you, can you look at this piece of writing for me? Can you look at this tape? You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It, it would mortify me before because it's like, I'm not supposed to need other people, you know, and stand up. The best part about it is that you can be this, this solitary, you know, being and you know in art I'm just sitting around and drawing by myself but I found that it's nice if you ask other people for things and that it enhances my life you know working with others so yeah like I know it's okay to ask for help but I still hate that shit oh I hate it yeah oh don't get me wrong I hate it but it's good as it turns out (laughs) 
man, I I don't know when it happened, but you stop hating it. You actually start kind of liking it. The moment of being like, I need help. Hey, I need help. Can you help me? It was like, like getting to that point of, um, it'll happen. That's what I'm saying. It'll happen. I don't know. I don't know what clicked in my head, but it was like just the necessity for help in a lot of ways. And also knowing when not to ask and to just like, that's the hard part is in, in comedy. A lot of times people are like, how dare you ask me for help? And then, but like some people are not, and some people, you know, it's just staying out of the expectations of help really. But that's, oh my gosh. Okay. I love that. I love <laughs> Work that. in progress. Work, Work in progress. <laughs> we all are. We all are. I only, inv- I only invite guests on that I know will be fast friends with uh, Anna. So that's, that's what yours. <laughs> I, I can tell like two minutes into the pod, Dave got the look on his face like, yeah, she's going to talk yeah, the I'm whole time. Like, right. She really likes her. <laughs> Yay. I'm going to stretch a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what is... um. What is your level of honesty with yourself and others? I feel like before I got sober, I was an open book in the wrong way. And um, like, what is it that uh, in Fleabag, she learns that really hard lesson. And it's like talking about yourself constantly isn't being open, you know? And it's like, oh boy, that hurt. Um, So yeah, I feel like now I'm honest for the right reasons. Whereas before I got sober, there was just a lot of like self-serving lies all the time. And it was, it was as small as like, I'm on my way, (laughs) you know, or Mm -hmm. of course I'll come to your show. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. three days of no contact. Um, But, you know, now I, I talk, I feel like I say the word emotional honesty constantly because it's something Mm -hmm. that. I have to actively work on. I'm just, I'm getting close to four and a half years and I still feel like I'm new to that, you know? Um, And often that just comes in the form of, um, I can't do that or I don't have the bandwidth for that, you know, right now, which I can still like absolutely overload myself and be a mess and let people down. But um, I think I'm way more apt now to be like, you know what? I don't want to do that show. <laughs> you know, I don't, I just yeah. turned down a show, a show offer because it was like, um, basically the person who was trying to book me said like, um, it'll be for tips. There's no pay up front and I'm going to get a sponsor later. And in the past I would have just been like, sure. this is fine. Sure. I'll yeah. get $7, you know, but now yeah. like the reality is I don't have time for that. And as someone who's now a full-time freelancer out of necessity, I have to say no to stuff. And so I still really have to fight those people, pleasey tendencies. Um, but I feel like I'm way more apt to do the right thing now. And, you know, not that I do that every time, but I don't know. I just, I look back on how I lived my life and so much of it was lying to prevent hurting someone's feelings mm-hmm. or lying to, um, make myself look better in, in just little stupid ways, like lying about having done something at work when I was in the process of doing it, you know? And now I just, I can't live with myself if I do stuff like that. You know, I, I would tell a white lie, like, yeah, that looks great on you. <laughs> or like, yeah, I listened to your podcast. Just kidding. Um, but you know, like, well, it's, it's been brought up on the podcast before other people have said, like, I don't say I'm on my way until I'm on my way. Yeah. You know, it sounds dumb. It sounds <laughs> dumb. 
but like that's just what it is like <laughs> and rigorous honesty doesn't mean i'm 100 percent honest all the time it's just i'm more conscious of the times when i'm dishonest yeah 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 and i, I look back on you know all of my lack of recovery and there was just so much dishonesty and often like sad dishonesty to myself of like i'm happy in this relationship or this friendship is serving me well or this is a place that i want to be you know mm -hmm. and it's hard to to change your life in all the ways that you have to in recovery but you know i tell people who are newly sober like you don't have to put up with shit anymore you know mm -hmm. if you're wildly unhappy don't do it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you, you don't have that gift of being, you know, stoned out of your mind or, or coked to, you know, insane levels. Cause you can tolerate a lot of bad stuff, you know, in, in that phase of your life. You know, if you're, if you're hammered all the time and don't remember most of the situations that you've been in, which is how I mostly was, you can tolerate bad shit, but when you're sober, yeah. no, thanks. I'd rather not. I pass. So Oh, I love that. I love it. I think being honest too reduces like the anxiety levels. Like I still experience anxiety, even though I'm honest, but it definitely is a lot less. Uh, <laughs> Whitney, how do you experience anxiety in your life? Um, that's actually something that has come out more in recent years for me. I thought that before um, I got sober, that I was um, an introvert and you know, just a very cerebral bookish type person. And now I see that um, a lot of my drinking just to cope was to cope with anxiety. Um, I'm someone who's always had every textbook symptom of depression, but I didn't realize that the flip side of that is, um, is anxiety. You know, mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable being in a lot of situations. And so I had to self-medicate to, you know, be able to handle that. So um, early in recovery for once, I feel like I did all the right things of, I saw a therapist, I saw a couples therapist, I went to a bunch of different types of meetings and support groups. And all of that helped me be like, you know, oh, these are mental illness things too. It's not just that you're drunk and coked out and awful to people. It's yeah. like you're an anxious person. And so, you know, that's something that I've had to address as well. And um, I still have this bad habit of overworking to, you know, kind of keep that engine going of anxiety. But it's something that I'm working on a lot in therapy now. And I can at least be honest and say to friends, you know, back when the world was normal, yeah, I don't, I need you to go with me to this because I feel weird about being the only sober person yeah. or, you know, I don't want to go to that meeting because I feel judged or, you know, like yeah. I, I'm just more likely to be honest about what I'm uncomfortable, you know, about in a situation, but I, I'm a very anxious person, it turns out. So, yeah, yeah. Well, anxiety, like the reason why fear and anxiety ended up on there is because it is such the core of the character defect factory <laughs> like what are character defects that you're still working on oh gosh there's so many <laughs> i feel like there's new ones um, all the time um i don't know i just feel like uh the word self-seeking pissed me off so much <laughs> early in sobriety because i interpreted that as like i'm an ambitious driven person of course i'm self-seeking and now like with a couple of years under my belt i'm like that's not what that means um but just being vain and a lot of that manifests as you know being too proud to ask for help um 
being too, you know, vain to admit that I don't know how to do something. And, you know, I can still be tremendously selfish and think that, you know, I know the right way to do something. And mm-hmm. I'm not, so I'm not a queer person that's massively into astrology, but since all of my friends are, I would say textbook Capricorn behavior. Ah! <laughs> I'm very bossy and shitty and like, I don't okay. know. Okay. Okay. Let's what, hear it. Let's hear it. But what I heard was textbook Capricola behavior. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, I do like a salted meat. Too. <laughs> I, I heard Capricola behavior. So. I am a salty meat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? What is your chart, by the way? I'm wondering. I'm a Gemini. Uh, here we, here hold, on, Colt, hold on, Colt. Hold on. Just hold on. Dave's uh, eyes glazed over. <laughs> yeah. Gemini. Um, Aquarius moon with a Virgo rising. So I'm a very confusing person because I'm a big spaz, but on the outside, I look like I have my shit together. Kind of. <laughs> I am. Uh, I will say I am. On <laughs> <laughs> You're on the inside, Dave. You've been on the inside for a while. <laughs> well, I will say that I'm butch enough not to know my whole chart. Um, oh, but wow. sorry. Hey, girl. I'm the only straight girl. Comfy shoes up in this bitch. Hell, comfy shoes. I'm the only straight girl (laughs) in my sponsorship family, and I was staying with my sponsor over the weekend because she's going through chemo, and her roommate was spazzing her out, just like, just spinning like a top the whole weekend. And I go, when's her birthday? And she goes, (laughs) November. And I go, I go, hmm, she's a Scorpio. And then Mm -hmm. she goes, nah, she's got Capricorn in there somewhere. I can see it. I was married to one. (laughs) My people. Yes. My people in our season. So, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Like, I th- I still fall victim to the idea that sobriety fixes all my shit, you know? Mm. And so a character defect of mine, you know, is basically just that sort of pride of, like, the, the worst kind of self-righteous sober person of, like, <laughs> well, actually, I'm sober. And then I'll have the worst thing happen where someone will be like, oh, yeah, I've been sober for 20 years. <laughs> you know? And then I'm just like, God, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, shut up now. I uh, I I scream it at meetings that <laughs> that the twelve steps are good at helping people, but it's not it's not everything. Yeah, like you yeah. know, like going to meetings is not gonna just the same as going to meetings is not gonna help me if I've got diabetes. Going to meetings ninety and ninety is not gonna help me if I'm bipolar. Like it's gonna fit me with the honesty enough to talk to doctors and and and, and do the things I need to do, but it's not a cure all. Like all the times we talk about recovery out here and twelve steps and things like that, you know, and whatever. If you associate with a group uh, of your choosing, that too it is none of it is a cure all. And, and some of the times it's like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I have diabetes. Yes, if I don't take insulin, I'm gonna lose a foot. I'm gonna get that mm-hmm. beatus foot. Mm-hmm. You know. It's it's the same thing. I'm an alcoholic and I have, you know, manic depressive. And, and so many people die within the rooms of fellowships because the mental health aspect is not talked about enough. And, you know, specifically for me with grief, like, uh, you know, losing my father in 2019, um, it literally fucked me up to the point where I felt like I had drank. I felt like I had relapsed. So I was going and angry sharing at every fucking meeting. And I didn't start feeling better until I started going to therapy specifically for grief. Because, you know, uh, 
Newsflash, not everybody in the rooms is a doctor. You know, uh, I mean, they're there, but not everybody there is a doctor. So, like, I had to get specific help in order to do that. And, you know, we've done such a good job, in my opinion, as a society to destigmatize drug and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. To the point where it's just like, you're like, oh, yeah, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was a fucking piece of shit. Now he's still a millionaire and makes movies. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, but still, we're not quite there yet. When, like, I'll use Kid Cudi as an example. When Kid Cudi checked himself uh, into uh, the hospital for mental health, like the whole rap community was like, there were some people making fun of him and such. So yeah. we're not there yet. I, I could go down the lines of why the hip, hip the hip hop world is the way it is. But I'm just saying, for example, you yeah. know, someone who's very famous and, and very good at what they do was public about mental health. And it's like, there was a lot of people backing them up and supporting them. And that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. But still, like, we're not mm -hmm. quite there yet. And I know I went on this tangent. It's just, it's very important. And like, I don't bring it up specifically enough and like, take a pause to like, recognize mm -hmm. the importance of mental health. Because not picking up a drink or a drug for me okay, that's great, but if I feel like I'm going to commit suicide, like, you know, like, not no amount of service work is going to fucking yeah. make that go away if it's an intrinsic problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you mentioned grief, and that's something, that's actually something that I'm uh, dealing with at the moment. I... And it, it feels unsober, you know, to even talk about it. But uh, my, my best friend since um, junior high... Uh, chose to end their life uh, about five months ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so the whirlwind of things that were happening, you know, at the time was like, oh God, this pandemic is for real. You know, this is actually happening. Um, you know, I had been sort of disconnected from comedy. And then um, my friend who was living in the Pacific Northwest moved back to our home state in Arkansas and um, relapsed and died basically. Um, and there can be a lot of antithetical 12-step stuff in terms of grief because there is sometimes a sort of bootstraps mentality about taking charge of your recovery and that can sometimes dismiss these huge waves of grief that are difficult to deal with it's like I don't think that I need to do another fourth step <laughs> to get over this I think I need to talk to my trauma-informed therapist and uh in the past couple of months I've actually been going to grief support groups um just to have another outlet to process that but it's that has definitely been a big block to my not block but like a big hit to my recovery because um like you said when you're so sad and you're so out of sorts it feels like a hangover like I feel like you know the crying and sleeplessness you know oh, with it, none of the none of the good stories it's just I'm a sad bitch and yeah. uh, it, I hurt constantly yeah. you know I I uh, I would recommend um I I someone who her mother completed suicide uh mm -hmm. the same year my father passed mm -hmm. we were talking you know we're like we're grief buddies you know mm -hmm. Um, and she's sober. And she sent me this book called The Grief Ooh. Recovery Handbook. And uh, it's not very chunky. It's like maybe a 200-pager, very cheap. I'm not telling you what to do with your <laughs> grief. But 
I spent a year not taking care of my grief until I broke down and got therapy. And through therapy, mm-hmm. it led me to this book. And she just sent it to me. She's like, I'm sending this to you. I'm like, God damn mm-hmm. it. it. took me another month to crack it open. But one of the things in the book, it's just like we have to unlearn the whole five stages of grief thing because it, it doesn't yeah. do enough anymore. And it's not anybody's fault. And this happens a lot in the rooms in my experience that uh, their only experience with dealing with grief is just passing down these sometimes colloquial phrases like you know time heals all wounds and you Mm -hmm. know you just need to be alone and things like that and it's this book really uh gave um a voice to my already uh um suppositions of of like i can complete grief like it's Mm -hmm. a completable thing Mm -hmm. but i have to be working to complete it you know because you'll hear oh you know you know, it, you know, one day it'll just stop hurting. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't, there's no light at the end of the tunnel at that point. And some people grieve forever. Some people grieve forever. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's why if anybody's listening, if you lost someone or if you've gone through a divorce or, you know, it's grief's not just death, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's any significant loss in your life. It's called the grief recovery handbook by uh, John James and Russell Friedman. So check it out. Um, I don't recommend books ever on this show, but <laughs> is one, it is one that is helping me. So thank you. I'll shut up now. Yeah, no, Dave, thanks. That's, that's helpful. Dave, I'm so fucking proud of you. I really am. I'm so fucking proud of you. I can't even handle it. Um, you keep your compliments to yourself. You could be proud of me upstairs. I don't want to hear I, love, I mean, because I, you know, my sponsor always says... My sponsor lost her wife the same year I lost my mom. And my sponsor always says we go through the things in our recovery so we can walk other people through them with realistic expectations. And my, you know, kind of how Dave and I became very close is through that experience of talking about grief, you know, we're because I've had to we're <laughs> gross we're friendship. Shut up. We know. We, uh, shut up. Oh my God. Um, but he like, like taught, like, com- like frank conversations about grief because grief was such a, um, it was the two tongue gorilla of my recovery. I didn't experience spiritual freedom until I got into counseling for, my grief for the loss of my dad and then the loss of my mom and the complex grief. You know, that's the thing is there's, there's straight up grief. Like I lost a thing or this person who's never traumatized me or done anything fucked up ever in their lives is dead. And now I'm sad. But then when you have trauma on top of that and it becomes complex grief, it really, um, it really, fucked my program up. I remember going to a therapist for the first time and saying, or it was the first time I went to her, I said, I'm only here because my, my sponsor told me if I don't see you, she'll stop. I can't call her anymore. Um, and, uh, I had like almost lost a job and my boyfriend got in my face and I put hands on him and just the whole, whole nine just really melted down. And, uh, and I, I'd been going for a few sessions and I said, what do I have to say to you? to not feel like punching a puppy because that's how mad I am. And I love animals. Like, and, and she finally, you know, she finally got me to that place where it was like, all right, you're willing, let's do this. And that, um, that led 
to a process both in, cause I would tell my sponsor, I was on an eight step at the time and I would tell my sponsor, like I would just call her and she'd be like, I know baby, it just sucks. And my sponsor's a therapist, you know, she'd be like, <laughs> this is supposed to hurt and you, you feel it, feel it now or feel it 10 years from now in a grocery line. That's your, the, the, these are your choices. And, um, and I was working the eight step and she would just say, you know, baby, it is the, it is, you're doing the eight step. You're living the eighth and ninth step by doing this work because you're breaking the chain. And, um, and it led me to doing a lot of work in the area of forgiveness. Like grief directly led me into the area of forgiveness, which brings us to our next question. How do you experience forgiveness in your life? Well, uh, with difficulty, <laughs> um, I, I don't know, you know, this, um, all the strange circumstances of the past couple of years of suddenly I'm home mm-hmm. alone all the time. I can't utilize the coffee dates and meetings and support groups that I normally went to because pre COVID none, none of that had switched to zoom, you know, and I had yeah. a couple of friends who would very kindly FaceTime me into meetings, but even then I felt so left out, you know? Oh. Um, so, you know, like it's something that changes depending on, the severity of the issue, but um, what I've been working through with my therapist a lot is um, forgiving and releasing this friend of mine who passed away, um, mm-hmm. which has just been, it's the biggest deal in my life right now because we were friends since um, junior high. We met at uh, an eighth grade dance <laughs> and mm-hmm. we had this big complicated life together of, of being in a relationship, you know, in an on again, off again way, massive drinking buddies. Um, my first, um, my first couple of instances of, of drinking was with my friend who passed away. Um, and so all of my recovery is so tied up in um, processing those feelings. And for me, Um, I have a lot of guilt and I don't know if that's survivor's guilt or what, but from getting out of my Southern hometown situation and, you know, coming to a bigger city, making my way, having some success um, because I often, you know, and in all of that, I have all these thoughts of like, well, why did this click for me? You know, why, Mm -hmm. why did I make it out? Why did recovery click for me and not my friend who has passed away? Um, and a lot of that is is forgiving myself for um, having these wrong ideas, you know, about yeah. how to do things, and and for thinking that I understood what they were going through. And um, often I feel like I made the wrong decision, you know. Uh, and I think everybody feels that to a degree when somebody is gone and the mm-hmm. finality sinks in of like mm-hmm. a fight that you had or uh, a miscommunication or something now that mm-hmm. you can't solve anymore. You know, you just kind of have to be like at peace with it. And so I still am somebody who can be um, totally burnt up and boiling with resentments all the time. (laughs) But I think the difference is now that I can see where that comes from. And it usually comes from being afraid and being sad 
And um, in all of the sort of trauma therapy stuff that I've worked with, you know, anger is often a mask to Mm -hmm. protect yourself from those feelings of sadness that feel incurable at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a more Zen person than I used to be, but I I still think that I have to sometimes sit down. Like it's a, like, well, I have to sit down with my um, DBT workbook. (laughs) Why am I feeling this way? You know? So yeah. Yeah. DBT is the real, is the real tea. I have a friend who's also a, (laughs) I keep working in treatment. All my friends are therapists and um, she, she is a DBT specialized therapist. Like she's done all the symposiums and stuff. And um, Mm -hmm. I have a CBT therapist, which works very well for my ADHD brain, but like, yeah, that is EBT card when I lived. In I Chicago. did too. It was, Girl, it was my food. St- it was my food stamp card. EBT. Shout I'm on EBT, EBT right now, baby. That is this That's is so COVID. Good. Sign me up for all your services, government. Um, I'll take that twenty waka bucks waka. a month. Um, but yeah, no, I um, that type of therapy is really powerful. You're on such a journey. That's mm-hmm. so. I mean. And I might start taking CBD for my pain. So I'm getting all of the alphabet. Yeah. A little bit of everything. (laughs) A little MCT oil. A little MCT oil in the coffee. (laughs) For your shits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Um, What's been your weirdest either amends you've had to give or you've gotten? Or, Or most surprising. Yeah, most surprising, most interesting, um, most notable. You know, I'm I feel like I've been on my ninth step for a long time. Um Ooh. but so that's still a work in progress. Um but I've had many instances um where I have had this long standing resentment and they're usually comedy related because we're all such shitheads, you know. <laughs> but um but I, I had this instance of uh somebody that I had um a real problem with for many years mm-hmm. when I was early into comedy. I felt that they had wronged me. Um, they felt that I had wronged them, you know, mutual misunderstanding and shittiness. And I've had several people like that where in my head, I'm like, Oh, that if they, if they ever wrote me, I would just give them a piece of my mind. And I've had many people like that reach out to me and say, I am in trouble with sobriety and I need help today. And They've said stuff like, I saw on Facebook or I saw on Twitter that you posted about being in recovery. I'm so embarrassed. Help me, you know. Mm. And that's that's been just I'm blown away every time that anybody thinks I know anything for one. Yeah. But it's it's often come from people that I had a really difficult friendship or relationship with. Yeah. And so I've instantly been in this position where I have to get over my bullshit, which is almost always just bullshit. You know, it's yeah. not really in, it's not like they stabbed me or stole massive amounts of money from me. It's, it's very basic stuff. Like they hurt my feelings. And, you know, in talking with them about recovery stuff, I've had to say like, just one of those in the moment, you know, amends where it's like, I know specifically that I was shitty to you at this time and I want to apologize, you know, for that. And, and don't get me wrong. There's 15 people who might listen to this and be like, where's my apology, bitch. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I mean, I'm working on I that. Think it, I think it's wonderful that we're, ho- we're hoping to get 15 on this one. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I, I hey, always I'm... just assume we're just shouting into the void. That's, that's what helps. That's what helps me know. Steve, just, our numbers are better than that. But if you're listening, please well, if you tell don't share your, your If you don't share the numbers with me, how am I supposed to know? It's just you have access to all the information. Okay. Um, Listen, if I owe you an amends, please like and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's it. Like all, all it takes is a quick like and subscribe. Twelve questions, and Whitney will consider. And I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. Making her amends for that's, that time she said that shit. That's all it takes. But but in the in the bigger picture of making an amends, I feel like a lot of times um, doing step work and especially talking to people with a lot of sobriety time, I'm really lucky. I know multiple people who have um, 30 to almost 50 years of sobriety that are regularly people that I'm running things by. And, and you know, I consider mentors, even though they're not officially sponsors, you know, they'll they'll really school me on stuff all the time. And I'll have to take a step back and be like, you know, this thing that I was carrying around or this pattern that I used to do all the time, it it's from me, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was something that, that I did and that I'm going to have to, um, deal with, you know, like a lot of times I got so bent out of shape about things that I had caused, you know? (laughs) And so it's been a big, it's been a learning curve for me to be like, well, if I don't act that way, Mm -hmm. then I won't be in those situations anymore, you know? And there's still a couple of tough amends that I need to make. Um, But the ones that I have done, I've been very surprised because thus far the reaction has been why are you still carrying that around? <laughs> you know, like the person that I'm talking to is like, yo, we're cool. It's weird that you are still so like been out of shape about it. Like I, when I made an amends to my parents, they were like, you know, they basically said something to the effect of like, we knew you were mixed up with all sorts of stuff and we didn't know the degree to which you were. And so it's not a big deal. You know, you were a kid, you're really working on yourself. And and for me, I'm, I'm just such a big fan of the idea of a living amends. Um, that that's something that I often talk to people early in sobriety and just be like, yo, if you're so bent out of shape about the idea of apologizing to this person, what if right now you lived your life in a way that you didn't make that mistake again? You know? Mm. And I wish somebody had told me that when I was 16, just (laughs) been like, if you start living in a way that you're happy with and comfortable with, you won't have to make all these awful apologies and all these awful mistakes, you know, but hindsight's 2020, you know? And the only way to, to, to know that for most of us, I, I've met a few people, like wholehearted people that don't have to run into the brick wall to learn the lesson. But I, I know maybe one to two of those people. In yeah. general, you have to make mistakes to know what does not work for you. You don't know it's a mistake when you're making it, baby. You're just making a decision. And then you discover what sometimes decisions don't work. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes sometimes, sometimes yeah, I know yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There's a <clears throat> there's some numbers still in my phone, you know, where I'm like, ooh, mm. ooh, missed a mistake. Um <laughs> so glad you're there. Uh but yeah, no, I, I understand that. I understand that a lot. It's really beautiful. You really... What would you say... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to do the same thing you're doing. You and do it. together now. What would you say, you say your spiritual practice... Yeah, that. <laughs> ...looks like day to day? Do you well, have one? Do you need one? What's going I, on? Well, I need one. Um, When I first got sober, I was very fortunate to go to meetings that were geared towards atheists and agnostics. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody who was raised secular in the Bible belts. So I have complicated feelings about God. Mm. Um, 
for me, church was this oppressive, you know, unpleasant, like I remember getting called devil worshiper all the time because I didn't go to church, which is mm. kind of a dumb equivalency. It's like, if I'm worshiping the devil, then that's kind of like church. Um, but no, no, no so, it is. It's the church. Like, thing. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all really nice too. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, so I was raised without religion mm-hmm. and I was given the, um, my parents were super cool about it. They're basically like, we're not going to choose something for you. And if you want to explore something and, and it sticks for you, then awesome. Um, but my dad was, um, he calls himself a recovering Baptist. Whoa. <laughs> and my mom was raised uh, Episcopalian, kind of. So it, it just wasn't something that was part of my life. And so when I first got sober, one of the things that, or even before I got sober, one of the things that kept me from trying a lot of um, support groups that I thought were faith-based, you know, was this idea that there's going to be these Bible thumpers and it's going to be this Mm. big patriarchal thing. And, you know, they're going to throw the book at me and they're going to say like, you have to believe in God, you have to find a higher power. And, you know, I'm fortunate to, to have gotten sober in Chicago where there's like a million different, you know, meetings and groups and things to try noisy Chicago. Um, but, uh, so for me, I went in very kicking and screaming about it. And now I've emerged as I'm still absolutely an atheist. Like that hasn't changed, but I can understand the importance of, um, believing in something bigger than yourself, believing that there's, you know, that there's the universe, which is neutral maybe, (laughs) but I have to make my own way and being, you know, at peace with it. So I have become someone who meditates. I'm someone who reads poetry and lights a candle and (laughs) reads my little passages from the books, you know, and, um, I'm really trying to, you know, get this meditation going in my life, especially with the grief, the, the grief fallout that I've been having, you know, where I, I know rationally that I can't drink or use to fix it, Mm -hmm. but it's that scary feeling of since I can't do that, how can I feel better? And for me, meditation is one of those things that helps with that. And I'm, I'm not, um, since I'm so new to it, it's not perfect, but Mm -hmm. I definitely use a lot of DBT skills that are, you know, based on improving the moment or, you know, just self-soothing, you know, Mm -hmm being chill. And so, you know, in that way, I don't think that I have any kind of conventional spirituality, but I definitely have this belief that I can be easier on myself if I, if I do these things, you know? So, yeah. That's beautiful. Hmm. Well, you kind of answered the, you answered both the 10th and 11th questions like in one shot, which I love. (laughs) Dave, should we just skip to the last one? No, it's just like, what's your relationship with your higher power? So, I mean, since you touched on it, like, is, you know, because I'm a firm believer that it can change completely. You can stay sober and not have one. Mm-hmm. I, I've, 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 I've had that experience. So I think it's valid just to reframe, you know, because if you didn't have one and now you have one, you might not have one in the future, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. that's. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, for me, um, I like the idea of, um, what do they say in the book? Like the spirit of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, so th- something big and, and overwhelming, you know. Um, I've often found that uh, when I'm overwhelmed by things, um, it often comes down to this selfish tunnel vision depression view of like, mm. I'm, the, I'm the only one here and I'm this black hole. How will I feel better? So just stuff like um, 
early in sobriety, I would go to, um, I would just walk around the Lincoln Park Conservatory and be in the plants all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would just be like, this is helping me. Um, so I still don't think that I have any idea of, or I don't have a semblance of mm-hmm. capital HP, higher power. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more this idea that, you know, the universe is neutral. There is no force that's out to get me. Um yeah. You know, and if anything, um, my faith comes from this belief that recovery helps and Mm -hmm. knowing so many sober people and, you know, losing a lot of people who who tried so hard, you know, and still didn't make it. Mm -hmm. I still think that everybody's life that I know has been improved by recovery. And so uh, early on in all of my I marked up my book, (laughs) you know, my program Mm -hmm. book with um, universe 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 and in places i just wrote hp so it's it's this amorphous thing i wish i wish i could be like it's a magical werewolf that flies and i've named it but you know it's <laughs> it's just more faith and recovery you know so yeah. so when i say faith like the word faith mm-hmm. i usually just mean faith and getting better no i love that i love See, that and you wanted to skip over that you're goodness. right you're right <laughs> i just thought okay yeah, yeah. Why don't you why don't you take us home with that last question, huh? Wow. <laughs> what is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world right now? Mm, good luck, honey. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I I would say that um, asking for help is okay. It will improve your life. Um, I would also say that um, take what you need and leave the rest in recovery, whether that's in sobriety or just in life, you know, you'll, you'll be thrown a lot of advice, especially in those horrible moments of adversity where you look terrible and people can tell that you're suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are usually coming at you from, from a place of goodness, you know, Mm -hmm. they do want to help, but um, even in the rooms, you know, some, some people you'll clash with and, and you won't agree with their stance on, on recovery. And um, even so, they might say something that will totally improve your day or make things easier for mm-hmm. you. Um, and to quote somebody I heard a long time ago, I don't even remember the source of this. I think it was a friend's sponsor. Somebody said um, that you should deal with the things in the order that they're killing you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just a fantastic way of looking at things. If, if drugs and drinking are your big problem right now, then absolutely handle that. If you're feeling suicidal, then that might trump that. You know, if, if you need a place to stay, that's important too. You just sort of have to handle, you know, what's hurled at you in the moment and do your best. But, you know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, too. So any anybody who's a perfectionist that's listening to this, take it easy on yourself. Yes. And with with recovery, all things are possible. It, it gets it gets so much easier. So mm-hmm. I, I hate I hated when people told me, like, it will get better. But it did. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it yeah. really does. And, and it gets better. And, you know, stick around. I, yeah, I'd agree. I, I I often say too, like uh, it'll get different. And if if you were like me and wanted to die every day, uh, getting different was a lot better of a solution. Mm-hmm. So even if it, even if it has to be different for a while before it gets good, you know that's mm-hmm. that's always a positive. 
Yeah, yeah. It'll get weirder. You know, like I've had this, the strangest stuff happen in recovery, whether that's just some sort of weird synchronicity where like getting hit by a car, but you know, how did you never get hit by a car in your drinking days? That's, that's, I think that's, that's, that's where the funny is, is that like, I spent so much time stumbling around in a blackout, never once got hit by a car. I start living my life right. Fucking bam. Yeah, so if I believed in God, I would have some big questions, you know, yeah. like, why now? But, you know, the other side of that is I've had tons of people in recovery tell me, like, oh, yeah, I had this horrible thing happen to me. I fell out of a building. I, you know, was punched, like, just insane, you know, Chicago drunks, like, crazy shit. And they would say, like, um, you know, it happened when I was drinking and I never got medical care for it. And now my elbow clicks, you know. And so mm-hmm. I'm fortunate that I got hit by a car when I was, you know, four, almost four years sober because I had all these tools in recovery mm. to use to get better. If I had gotten hit by a car as a drunk, I would have went and done that show. You know what yep. I mean? Like for sure, I would have, my foot would have been swelling out of my boot. I would have been bleeding from the face, but I would have been like, what's the deal? And so like <laughs> recovery <laughs> helped me not die in so many different ways. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. Um, (laughs) And I love that you're the kind of person who will take that moment for self-care. There's, I've definitely had those moments where I've had to tell, like in quarantine, I fell down a flight of stairs and hurt my back, which was already hurt. And, Mm. um, and I had to tell, I had to, I had two shows that night over zoom and I just messaged them right away. And I was like, I'm going to the ER. I'm not going to be on your show tonight. And they were like, are you sure? Just let us know when you're out. And I'm like, what about Comedians. I fell down a flight of fucking stairs? Do you not understand? Uh, you're not going to Zoom from the hospital? Do you not care about the craft? I literally uh, you care said. about your future? And I was like fucked up for like two weeks. Poor Dave. My brain just couldn't look at screens. And I was just like, anyway. But yeah, people are crazy. Um, Comedians. But I, I, I so adore you. I'm so glad that we've met. And where can people find you? Where can people follow your art, your comedy, your everything? Yeah, so I actually do a webcomic about recovery called Sober Rabbit. And it's a weekly webcomic, uh, Wednesday through Friday is when I update it. So that's uh, Instagram.com slash Sober Rabbit. And I am on Instagram as myself, as a Booze Tornado, which now is ironic. Um, and on Twitter, I am Sober Furious. But uh, if you didn't want to write all those down, you can just go to my website, which is SoberRabbit.com. Oh, I love it. Okay, Soul Peter. Rabbit is a goddamn delight. So buy, <laughs> buy the merch. Uh, share you? it around with your friends. Oh, shit. Yes, that's me. And I have a... on. Through Sober Rabbit, I sell a lot of sober stuff. I sell t-shirts. I actually have a coloring book that's specifically for adults with anxiety. So uh, if you have some spending money, you got that pocket money, you know, go check it out. So yeah, people. if you got if you got your second round of Daddy Trump bucks and you want to spend. <laughs> or or even even if you have like a really um, over Christmas and let's say Valentine's, whatever you know, try to support folks that are making art. We had Katie on in her Katie kits and I bought one for friend for Christmas and people really appreciate getting like handmade, beautiful art. It's mm-hmm. nice. Like 
you know, it's, it feels, and it feels good. You're like, you don't feel like you're just like, I bought another instant pot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you feel, you feel like you're doing something good for everybody. So yeah. I love that. And I gotta, I, I gotta use that and be like, uh, uh, buy from me because I got hit by a car. <laughs> yes. Buy you want to support her. somebody that got hit by a car. You got hit you by a car. What? She's been in accidents <laughs> on the scooter. The scooter, she's That's- a scooter wipeouts. That's your next merch is uh, I bought this shirt from a woman who got hit by a car. (laughs) Yes. That's that's, so funny. I actually like I just imagine all of Chicago is just slippery. Oh, it is. It's so wet and gross. I could step (laughs) on a rat at any moment. It's the best. You stop it. (laughs) I mean, I live in the sunshine and it's pretty dope, but I I miss Chicago constantly. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Well, Dave, where can people find you in all your things? You can find me at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy, on all social media platforms. And I don't even want to plug my merch. Please just buy Sober Rabbit stuff. Aw, thanks, Dave. <laughs> You're okay, I won't. I'm going to listen to your boundary. I'm going to listen Thank to you your boundary. for once. Thank you. Okay. okay. Anna, um, where can people find you? You can find me at Anna V is fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on AnnaValenzuela.com. Um, you can find this podcast at 12Q Pod on all of the social media platforms. That also is our Gmail handle. If you'd like to send us an email, please Tell your humans, if you enjoy this podcast, um, please tell the humans in your life. Um, I love the the shout outs I get from friends, from people on the Unpops network um, that have just discovered this podcast. Please, please, please um, spread the word because that's what we're trying to do. We're spread, trying to spread the good word of recovery or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're just, <laughs> listen, the whole world, listen, everybody. Like, she's like, wait a minute. I just sound like a televangelist preacher and that's not going to look for us. That's, that's, that's not, not a good that's look. Not, on not a good that's look. Not on brand. Not that's a good not look. Yeah. I'm just saying, I was watching those DC riots and thinking to myself, Y'all need the steps. That's what I was mm-hmm. saying. I was just like everyone. Everyone needs took, a little they, bit they, of recovery. They, they learning. took the steps. They took the steps. And they straight they, past security <laughs> that let them in, and then they took more steps to just go in and take selfies and pee on Nancy Pelosi's desk. So they took steps. <laughs> Man, yeah, the, the person who's worked in a treatment center. Both me and David worked in a treatment center, and our brains probably went to the same places of like they're pissing and shitting all over that joint. <laughs> somebody's gonna have to clean that up and with that <laughs> uh, we land the plane every episode Anna take it away oh my gosh Whitney if nobody's told you this today we love you love oh, you Whitney that's so nice thanks it's so nice talking to you all and if Dave if nobody's told you this today we love you <laughs> tiniest hugs and if you're listening this, to this today and nobody's told you this, we love you. Thanks love you, everybody. Listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah.